Good morning, everybody. Um, I would like to start by saying thank you to Pastor Joss and the elders for uh, giving me the privilege to stand behind this pulpit and to bring the word to you and to serve you um, by this. And it is a joy, and we had a great time in the first hour just sharing about the ministry in Spain, and it's wonderful to meet believers from other places in the world. Um, so it is, it is a privilege and a joy for me to be here. So let's pray. Uh, before we start uh, with our text for this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you. You truly are sitting on the highest throne, a throne that for us is the throne of grace. And we praise you and worship you and thank you for what a privilege it is to approach you as our Father. And we, as your children, we ask that your spirit would do his work in our hearts. Father, we long for the day when we'll see you, when we'll see Christ face to face. When we will don't have to, we will not have to fight sin any longer. But meanwhile, we pray that you help us to see his face on the pages of the scripture. That we will marvel at him, that we'll be in awe of him and that this knowledge that we could acquire through the biblical text that will transform into love love for you and for your church so i pray you help me this morning but also that we all will come to you with a humble heart willing to submit to the truth that you have given us so we praise you and we ask for your help in the name of jesus amen may 22nd 2020 has become a dreadful date for air travel in Pakistan. A plane carrying 99 passengers crashed into a residential area. And after an exhaustive investigation, the conclusion was that the, the accident was caused by human negligence. During the long descent, the pilots released the landing gear. For some strange reason, just as they were about to touch down, they raised it again. And at that moment, the pilots didn't realize, and so they tried to land the plane, and the actual airframe of the plane hit the runway. And immediately, the pilots saw that something was wrong, their landing gear wasn't ready to, wasn't released, so they tried to take off again, and to eventually to do an emergency landing. But the engines has, have sustained heavy damage and stopped working midair. And eventually, that plane crashed into a nearby building, killing 97 people. And after listening to the black box, the authorities said that sadly the pilots were at fault. They didn't pay attention because they were having a very heated argument about COVID-19. Who has in these days? One of the pilots thought that COVID was a hoax. But the other pilot already had very several family members because of that virus. So you can imagine this thing. That cockpit became a boxing ring. On the left corner, the pilot with the red gloves. On the right corner, the pilot with the blue gloves. And they were fighting. And we're fighting in such a way that that fight became a distraction for both of them. 
a distraction from their true priority. They forgot the very reason why they were there. A pilot is in a plane simply to take off and to land the plane. And the consequences of that mistake were catastrophic. And as believers, we could also face the same danger. There are times, times when we are distracted from what really matters. There are times when we make a priority of something that it is not. But we can let this danger lead us into believing that somehow God will make the same mistake. That he will get confused. That he will not fulfill his priorities. That he will get distracted by something else. If something is a priority for God, he will bring it to completion. It will happen. It will become a reality. And this is great news for us. Because now we can be certain, we can be sure that whatever God has as a priority for us, he will fulfill it in us. And the passage that we'll be studying this morning will show us two of these priorities for his people. And if they are his priorities for us, then we can be confident that they will be a reality in our life as well. And the passage I'm talking about is John 17, John 17, verses 11 through 19. So let's read these verses together before we continue. So follow with me, um, John 17, verses 11 through 19. Jesus is praying to his Father, and he is saying in the middle of this prayer, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the song of destruction, that this scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So in this passage, we learn two priorities of Christ for our life. And the first priority we'll be studying together in verses 11 through 16, it is our protection. His priority is our protection. And the second priority in verses 17 through 19 is our sanctification. Very simple, our protection and our sanctification. And obviously, if they are God's priorities for us, they should be our priority as well. But... What I would like for you to keep in mind is that these are the priorities that God the Son is entrusting to God the Father. It is Christ who is saying, you keep them and you sanctify them. The main goal of these verses is not to call us to protect our faith. 
and two, grow in holiness, both which are very biblical and necessary. But in this specific case, Jesus is asking the Father to place himself in a position in which he alone becomes responsible for our protection and our sanctification. You see the difference, right? Our protection and sanctification do not rest on our own effort, but in the fact that Christ is entrusting them to his Holy Father. If we believe this, if we are sure of this, even if the world crumbles under our feet, we can still be confident. We still can find comfort and joy and peace in God. If we are saved, it will be impossible for Satan to snatch us out of the Father's hand, even if we could deny Christ three times as Peter did. If we are truly saved, If we belong to God, we'll grow in holiness. Even if the demons make it their life goal to drag us into the pit of sin. If God's priority is to protect us. If God's priority is to sanctify us. Who could stop him? Who? Nobody. Not your flesh, not your sin, not the world, not even Satan and his evil army could take away God's protection and sanctification in a true believer's life. So no matter what, we will be protected and sanctified in this world. And this truth should be reason enough for us to rejoice but especially to remain faithful to Christ till the end. To faithfully proclaim his name in the midst of this world till our last breath. Why? Because the Father is protecting us. And the Father is sanctifying us. So with that said, let's look at the first priority in verses 11 through 16. And as I just said, it is our protection. Our protection. So look at the first half of verse 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Jesus is about to face the cross. But before that, he prays this wonderful prayer that we find in chapter 17. And the first thing that he prays to his father is something that he alone could pray for. He says, you, father, you glorify me as I have glorified you. He's pretty much saying to God, I have held my end of the deal. Now you hold yours. But only Christ could pray like that. But then after that, he prays for us. He prays for his disciples and those whom will believe Because of the disciples' words. That's us. So he knows that he's a moment away from the cross. And that's why he's saying in this verse that he's no longer in the world. This doesn't mean that he somehow he's left already. He was there in the flesh in front of his disciples praying for them out loud. They could see him. They could touch him. But he's using that language because he knows Jesus has realized that he had crossed the point of no return. 
He, there was no turning back for him. He had his sights set on Golgotha, on the cross, and nothing was going to change his mind. But this was the path for Jesus to follow, not for his disciples. Jesus was the one who was going to return to the Father through the cross. But his followers were going to stay behind. It almost seems, from their perspective, that Jesus was going to leave them alone and unprotected in this world. That's a problem, a serious problem for his disciples. So how does Christ solve this problem? Well, he prays. He prays to his father. He asks him to protect them. Second verse, second half of verse 11 says, Holy Father, keep them. Jesus is not telling his disciples, you protect yourselves. You hide until things calm down. He also doesn't plead to the government to create laws that would grant us religious freedom. Instead, what he does is that he lifts his eyes towards heaven where God is sitting on the throne of thrones. And he says, you alone, you Holy Father, you keep them, you protect them. And that title, Holy Father, should stand out, jump off the pages of the scripture. That combination of holy and father in the same phrase to refer to God, it is unique. And it's very important for us to realize that. Because what Jesus is saying, if God is father and he is holy, then he is the perfect father. And he is doing that. Christ is doing that. He is praying this way because he is basing our protection on that quality, on that characteristic. On the fact that God is the perfect father. That's why he's saying you keep them in your name. In other words, you protect them according to your perfect and sinless nature. According to the fact that you alone are the holy father. The perfect father. If he is holy and he is father, then we as his children can be sure That he always does what is best for us, no matter what. That he loves us without sin, without flaw. And Jesus knew that there there was no better person to whom he could entrust the protection and care of his disciples than the Holy Father. Several years ago, I... We used to live in an eight-story building. And one afternoon, while I was playing with Oliver, he was almost two back then, he accidentally got locked in his bathroom. And when he noticed that he couldn't get out, that he wasn't able to open the door, he started banging on the door and crying, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. So at first, I tried to take the lock apart because I want to open the door. But the latch bolt somehow got out of place and got stuck in the door frame. So I wasn't going to be able to dismantle that from the outside. And time as time went by, Ollie got more and more nervous. And eventually his cry went from confusion to terror, to fear. He was truly scared. 
So I tried to bust down the door, like in the movies. I was like, I'm going to run, I'm going to jump with my shoulder, and this thing is going to just pop up like a... Well, it didn't happen. <laughs> I hurt my shoulder, and those doors are very steady and firm. So I was what could I do now? And Ollie kept crying and crying. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to go to the closest room. I'm going to climb out of the window. I'm going to grab to the bricks of the building wall. It's very high. I'm going to climb like a Spider-Man, and I'm going to go to his window, which thankfully was open, and go into his room through the window to just be with him. I should have thought about it. I could have died. I could have killed myself. I didn't think about it. Now we both were stuck in the room. But the only thing I was thinking about it, about, it was like my only desire was to protect him. I just want to be with him. Why? Because I am his father and I love him. I am his father and I love my children. If we who are sinners and far from being perfect parents are willing to risk our life just to protect our sons and daughters, how much more willing will God be? How much more? He is the perfect father because he is the holy father. And what an encouragement it is to know that our protection is entrusted to the one who will always do it accordingly to his perfect nature. Because he is the perfect father. In such a way that we can rest assured that whatever happens whether, whether it's easy or hard, whether it's a blessing or a trial, whether it's painful or pleasant, He is protecting us. When we doubt, He is protecting us. When the world hates us, He is protecting us. When Satan seeks to destroy us, God the Father is protecting us. And Christ isn't just asking his father to keep us safe for no reason at all. He has a very specific purpose in mind. And that is that we will be one as they are one. Notice the end of verse 11. He says, Holy Father, keep them with this goal. Keep them that they may be one even as we are one. This is the same unity that there is between the Father and the Son. That's the standard. As we are one, that they will be one. Nonetheless, in this specific verse, he is not talking about what is called ontological unity. And that simply means unity in essence. We're not divine, but 2 Peter 1.4 speaks of us as partakers of the divine nature. And what that simply means is that we are able to reflect some qualities of God's character. So if God is love, we can love. If God forgives, we forgive. If God is holy, we walk in holiness. Things like that. And he, but he's not asking that. He will do that later in verses 21 and 22. He will pray for that. But in this moment, in this specific case, what he is referring is to how the Son and the Father united as one sought to accomplish the same mission, the same goal, which was to reveal God, to make him known. 
in verses 4 through 6 of this chapter, Jesus claims that he did not come to this world with a different plan than the Father's. The Father sent his Son to accomplish the Father's will and to speak the Father's words to such a degree that even when Jesus said, Good morning, there were the Father's words. The Father sent the Son to reveal himself. And the Son came willingly to reveal the Father. Both of them as one, as part of the same team, united with the same goal. And now he's praying that we, likewise, we are one. That we will be one with this mission that the Father gave the Son. And this is why later on in verse 18, as we'll see in a few minutes, he says, the Father sent me, and now I send you. In our case, we did not reveal the Father as Christ did. But we point our finger to the one who reveals the Father, that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is asking the Father to protect us in such a way that his disciples would remain on this earth to proclaim him, to continue with the same mission of making the Father known. That's what he's praying for, for that protection, for that goal. Why would it be necessary for Jesus to ask the Father to keep us safe on his name? Well, because as we were saying before, he will no longer be with us on earth. Verse 12 says, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the song of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So Jesus is the good shepherd, right? He said that, I am the shepherd. And as such, he was protecting his sheep. But his protection would remain only until he left I was with them, but now I'm leaving, so now you protect them. And the problem is that the disciples didn't leave with Christ. They didn't ascend to the heavens while Christ ascended. Instead, they stayed, they remained on this earth, and they simply looked up to the clouds and saw how he vanished. In one sense, at a human level, humanly speaking, they were left behind. And therefore, they would still need divine protection. And that's why Christ is asking to his Father to protect them. You protect them. But this could be a problem. Because some may think, well, Jesus wasn't able to protect all his disciples. Look at Judas. I mean, he was, he was a loser, right? He was a goner. Well, Jesus responds to this soul problem. He says, like, no, that's not true. That's not true. You may not think that way. Because the conclusion that if we were to think that way would be, if he is asking to the Father to protect us in the same way as he protected his disciples, then we could conclude the Father is not going to be able to keep all of us safe. He will lose some of us as Jesus lost Judas. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not true. I didn't lose anyone. But everything happened according to Scripture, as it was supposed to happen. Second half of verse 12. Not one of them, Jesus is saying, not one of them has been lost. Not one of them, except the song of destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. 
Judas was the son of distraction. That is, he was the head that represented all of those who rejected Christ and therefore will suffer eternal distraction in hell, eternal condemnation and damnation. And this traitor ate from the same plate than his master, than his teacher. He followed him. And at the end, he lifted his heel against him. Just as Psalm 41 verse 9 prophesied centuries ago. And what that tells us is that Judas always was from the world. He was never a true disciple of Christ. And therefore, Jesus never kept him. And if Jesus didn't keep him, then he never lost him. Because you cannot lose that which is not yours. So Christ truly protected all who were his until the end. And now it's with that in mind, with that standard, that he is praying to his father to do the same thing. So if Jesus didn't lose any of his disciples, and he's asking the father to protect us in the same way as he did protect his disciples, then the father will not lose any of us. And this truth should bring joy to our heart. That's why verse 13 says what it says. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. This verse shows us that Jesus prayed in order that his disciples would be encouraged in the moment, in that moment, by his words. When he says, these things I speak in the world, he's referring to these verses, verses 11 and 12, that speak of the protection of the Holy Father. Jesus was praying out loud to his Father so that his 11 disciples would listen from his very own mouth that his priority was their protection. That even though he was leaving them, he was not going to abandon them. And they needed to hear that because they were very saddened. Their hearts were very troubled and confused. Remember this scene. This is a prayer right after the upper room discourse, right after the Last Supper. These men were expecting that tonight was going to be the night. They thought, they knew Jesus was longing to have this Last Supper with them. Jesus knew why he was longing to enjoy that time with them. But they thought that Jesus was longing to enjoy that dinner together because that was going to be the dinner that was going to establish the kingdom of God. That's the reason why they were walking to the upper room. They were fighting to see which one was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Because they thought, that's the night. Finally, the Romans are going to be expelled. Christ is going to rule from his throne. And we're going to rule with him. These were our expectations. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, like, "Uh uh-uh. I'm actually leaving. And you cannot follow me. You cannot come where I'm going. They have placed all their hopes in Christ. They left their families, their jobs, their friends their homes to follow him. They were very convinced that he was the Messiah. And indeed, he was the Messiah. 
But they had a different plan for the Messiah than God. And when they realized finally that he's going to the cross, they fell into despair. And amid amid of this uncertainty, when they were so confused, is when Jesus is asking the Father in front of them to protect them. And of course, the Father was going to keep his own. The Father didn't need to, to be convinced by Jesus to keep his disciples safe. He was going to do such a thing. He was praying in that way to convince the disciples that the Father was going to protect them. And when these men heard these words, they sort of rejoiced. And this is why Jesus ends this verse by saying, These things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilling themselves. This joy is not temporary happiness. It is the joy of Christ. It is the peace of man, uh, mind. Sorry, It is the contentment of the soul that only Jesus gives, that only Jesus brings. And he does it in full, not in part. If his priority is my protection, and this is why he's asking the Father, he's asking the one who said, whatever you ask of me, I'll do it, and he's asking to his Father to protect us, then I should trust that no matter what happens to me in this world, even if that means death, the Father is protecting me. And that should translate into joy. Joy in my heart. I can rejoice in the midst of the world. And these are not empty words. Because the world in which he's left us is a very hostile world. Verse 14, notice it. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. If the world hated Jesus because he didn't belong to them, to the world, it will hate his disciples because we also don't belong to the world. Why did you think that in chapter 16, verses 1 to 3, Jesus is promising his disciples that they will be thrown into jail, that some of them will be killed, and even when they are being killed, the people who kill them are going to think they're doing a godly thing. The world would never be our friend. In fact, I would say it's one of our worst enemies. If this is true, I would ask you, why do we often seek the world's approval? Why do we work so hard at earning the world's respect? It doesn't make any sense. It is a system designed by Satan and controlled by the prince of the power of the air to destroy us, to blind unbelievers. But, and a very important but, the Holy Father is protecting us in this world. Because it is his son's priority. It is his son's priority. So in light of this truth, now we can finally understand why he's asking what he's asking in verse 15. When he says, I do not ask. This is what I'm not requesting. This is not what I want, that you take them away of the world. This is not what I ask, that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them 
implied in the world, but how? From the you keep them from the evil one. If I fall in a pit full of rattlesnakes, the first thing and only thing that I would want to do is to get out of there, right? And I hope you guys want the same thing. So if the world is Satan's pit, and he is that snake that is seeking to poison us with his venom, I would expect that if God is to protect us, he would do it by taking us out of the pit of the world. But that's not what Christ is asking. That's not the priority. That's not what Jesus wants. The son whose priority is our protection. He is saying to his father to keep us in the world. To not take us out of the world yet. Why? Very good question. Thank you for asking. Why? Why would Jesus ask such a thing? Oh, well, because we need to go to the world to proclaim his name. We cannot separate this prayer from its context. In chapter 15, verse 27, Jesus is giving the mission to his disciples. You will give testimony of me. The Spirit will do it through you. Which is the same commission or the same mission that we have received in the Great Commission. But how can we preach Christ if we are taken off the world? How can we proclaim him if we isolate ourselves from the world? How can we fulfill our mission if we do not spend time with unbelievers or do not have friends who are not Christians? Listen to this. To separate ourselves from the world would fully contradict the very purpose for which Christ has left us on this planet. I want to say it again, because I think we need to hear that several times. To separate ourselves from the world would fully contradict the very purpose for which Christ has left us on this planet. Pastor John MacArthur said the following, the reason why we are still on this earth is to preach the gospel to the world. And then he continues and says, says, this mission is the only thing that we could do better on earth than in heaven. End quote. This is the case. If we must remain in this world, then what we truly need is to be protected from the prince of the world. So verse 15, I ask, this is what I ask. This is what I want. That you, Holy Father, you keep them from the evil one. Jesus is asking the Father to protect us from Satan himself. The world hates Christ because the devil hates Christ. And the devil controls the system of the world. If it were up to him, he would have already destroyed every believer. The only reason why we have persevered up to this moment, the only reason why you haven't rejected Christ, why you haven't denied the faith, why we haven't betrayed him, the only reason why we haven't compromised the gospel is because the Father is protecting us. And the Father has been doing it throughout church history. To this moment, 
That's why the gospel has arrived America. And why you heard a pure version of the gospel that has saved you. Because the Father protected Jesus' followers. Isn't it wonderful to think that we are protected by the Father in this world? That Satan will not be able to extinguish, to destroy the faith of any true believer. That the world may take our life, but they cannot destroy us. Because the Father is protecting Jesus' disciples. But this protection is only reserved for us. For those who do not belong to the world. And that's why verse 16 repeats and highlights again what Jesus said in verse 14. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So if you are of the world, if you haven't received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you haven't trusted Him for the forgiveness of your sins, if you haven't trusted His work on the cross and His resurrection for your justification, if you haven't repented, if you still love sin more than Christ, you still belong to the world. You are headed to damnation, eternal damnation. You still are under the domain of Satan. And the only thing I can say to you is believe and repent. Believe in the sufficiency of the work and person of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Nothing else. It truly is by grace through faith. And repent. Turn your back to sin and love Christ. What better hands to be? That the all-loving, all-powerful hands of God the Father. Come to Christ for forgiveness. But come to Him for protection as well. But if you say to, if you proclaim, profess, profess to be a believer. Then what should we do with this truth? What should we do with the fact that the Father is protecting us in this world? Well, we should respond the same way as the disciples did. We should go to the world and preach Christ. We must go to the battlefield, face the hatred of the world controlled by Satan himself, and proclaim that there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The protection of the Father is such that when we preach that name in the world, Controlled by Satan, who hates those who proclaim that name. He cannot destroy us. We are protected by the Father. This has to do nothing with our own strength, but with the fact that it is the priority of God the Son and God the Father. We will be, are, and continue to be protected in the world. But the passage continues, and in verses 17 through 19, we find a second priority, which is our sanctification. Our sanctification. Let's read these verses together. Verses 17 through 19. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. The fact that Jesus is asking the Father to sanctify us, it tells us that sanctification for the believer is not optional. 
Holiness is the only way to live the Christian life, which makes sense. Because if we are not of the world, we should not live like the world, right? Would you agree with me? Something that seems so simple has become very confusing and complex. These days, people speak of carnal Christians or Christians who have fallen away or Christians who profess the gospel but do not practice their faith. And I hope that after everything we saw in verses 11 through 16, we realize what a terrible mistake is to think like that. Because what we, what we would be saying is that there is such a thing as Christians who are not being protected by the Father from the world. If the Father is protecting us from the evil one who hates Sorry, who uses the world to destroy us. And yet we live like the world. There are only two possible options. Either the Father is not protecting us or we still belong to the world. And if the Father is not protecting some of us who are carnal Christians, then the conclusion is that the Father cannot protect all of us. And I would ask you, how do you know that he is protecting you in the world? And if you are of the world which you show by living like the world, you still are headed, headed to judgment and destruction. This text tells us that sanctification, our sanctification is built upon the Father's protection. Which that simply means if you are protected by the Father, you will be sanctified. It will happen. There are two sides of the same coin. You cannot take one. And it still retained that coin. So with this said, what does it mean to be sanctified? Well, on the one hand, it's more than behaving like a moral person. It's more than having a good reputation. The Pharisees were very moral and had a very good testimony. And it is clear they were not being sanctified. Jesus calls them vipers, right? On the other, to be sanctified... It's not trying to avoid the things that the world does. You could deprive yourself of worldly pleasures. You could not dress as the world does. You could not be entertained like them do. You could not drink what they drink. You could not eat what they eat. You could not speak like they speak and still belong to the world. To be sanctified is to be transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. It is showing the fruit of the Spirit. It is showing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It is to reflect the character of Jesus who said, Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. It is to give forth the sweet aroma of Christ, whatever we go, whatever we do. And who could do such a thing? Such a change. He could turn the enemies of God into people who are being sanctified and transformed into the likeness of the Son. Well, God the Father. He still is praying to the same Holy Father. He's saying, you, Holy Father, as I ask you of you to keep them, I'm asking of you to sanctify them. And Christ is addressing the same Father, the same Holy Father, because only a Holy Father can give birth to Holy children. 
But the fact that our sanctification is God's priority doesn't mean that we don't need to worry about it. That somehow we lay back and enjoy the ride. Because look at how this verse continues. Sanctify them, you Holy Father, do it. Sanctify them in the truth. And it's like your word is truth. It's true that God sanctifies us, but he does it through the truth. And not just any truth. Two plus two equals four will not sanctify you. The instrument that the Father uses through his spirit to make us more into the likeness of his son is the word of God. The same Bible, the same message, the same word that led us to salvation, it is continuing, uh, continues to work in us to make us into the likeness of Christ, to sanctify us. However, the word doesn't work in you or in us as if by magic. To have a Bible on the shelf in your home will not make you holier. To carry it to church will not make you more like Christ. You must know it. You must study it. You need to understand it. You need to obey it. And especially, you need to read it to meet and to see the one, one of whom the word is talking about. Even the apostle Paul says to the Colossians that that which will transform them is not all these commandments they wanted to obey, but to fix their eyes to, in Christ, to Christ who is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Because he is sure of this, he says in verse 4, chapter 3, that when we, he will be fully or manifested, will be fully as he is. To see Christ on the pages of Scripture makes you more into Christ. It is his work. It's his doing. But if you don't put the effort to have the world, the word, sorry, the word dwell richly in you, you will be a weak believer. Jesus is being clear. Nothing else but a scripture will sanctify you. We have to be careful and not to fall into the trap. To believe that somehow the wisdom of man will make us into the likeness of God. Impossible. But why? Why is our priority, our sanctification, a priority for Christ? Why is Christ asking to the fathers, you sanctify them in your truth? Well, for two reasons. Two reasons that he gives us in verses 18 and 19. The first reason is that he sends us into the world. And the second reason is that he went to the cross for our sanctification. Look at verses 18 and 19. As you send me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Remember that what we were saying at the beginning. The, the reason why the disciples didn't ascend to heaven with Christ and stay in this world is because he sent them to preach the gospel to all nations. He gave them, he gave us that mission, the great commission. So as the father sent his son to reveal himself, now the son sends us to testify to him who reveals the father. And this is the reason why our sanctification is a priority for Christ. Because when we proclaim Christ, we represent Christ. Our life should match our message. Jesus doesn't separate the proclamation of the gospel from the practice of the gospel. If God is the Holy Father, 
only holy children could testify of his holy son. Spurgeon said the following, I quote, It is of no use for any of you to try to be soul winners if you are not bearing fruit in your own lives. How can you serve the Lord with your lips if you do not serve him with your lives? How can you preach his gospel with your tongues when with hands, feet, and heart you are preaching the devil's gospel? End quote. You should be reason enough to make, make it clear that our sanctification is a priority for God. But there is more. The passage continues and tells us that Jesus also consecrated himself for our sanctification. Verse 19 again. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. When Jesus said, I consecrate myself, he's saying he's setting himself apart for the sake of his disciples. And he is using the Old Testament language. When a lamb was consecrated, was set apart to be an atoning sacrifice. So by using this language, what Jesus is saying, he's talking about his atoning work. He's setting himself apart. He is the lamb of God who died for the sins of his people. He's talking about the cross. So he's saying, I am going to the cross for them. And I'm going to the cross for this purpose. And we know that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, right? You know, in his blood, we have the redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. But Jesus now is alluding to another facet of the same work. Another aspect that the cross accomplishes, which is our sanctification. I go to the cross. I consecrate myself as that atoning lamb of God for their sanctification. So that they will be holy, set apart, and they will grow in holiness. Jesus died not only for the forgiveness of, of our sins, but he died so that you and I will be more like him. And if that's the case, I'll ask you. If Christ gave himself up so that we'll be holy, do we really believe that the Father will waste his blood and not sanctify us? It's possible. We will be sanctified. Every disciple of Christ, every true follower of Jesus will be sanctified. Because it's the priority of God, the Father, and also the priority of God, the Son. And do you know what this is good news for us? It's very good news. Well, we have been commissioned to go into the world and make disciples. But for that to happen, we must dip our toes into the ocean of the world. We need to establish relationships with people from the world. Work with unbelievers. Be among sinners. Develop friendships with unsafe people. But without sinning. And that could be a problem. At least it's a problem for me. And I, I don't know if it would be for you. But the problem is that I'll be surrounded by their sin. And eventually their sin will taint me. 
will stain me. And that's the last thing that I want. I don't want to be stained by or tainted by the sin of the unbelievers who surrounded me. But the solution to that is not to isolate ourselves from the world. The solution is to actually to go into the world. And when that happens, when we sin like the world sins, we have the promise that the Father will still sanctify us by the truth of God. The promise is that the Father will keep us holy through his word while we are in the world. Listen to this. We do not need to be in heaven to walk in holiness. Isn't that amazing? That we can already do it here. And when we get our feet dirty, we just wash them into the cleansing work of Scripture and continue to proclaim the gospel. We must go to the front lines. We must infiltrate enemy territory. We must descend into the disgusting sewer of sin without sinning. But we must do this to proclaim Christ to those who are trapped in the world. But remember, that's a challenging task. It's a very scary thing to realize that I have to go to the world to preach Christ. I'm afraid for myself, my family, my kids. Oh, but Christ is asking to the one who will grant him each one of his prayer requests. You, Father, you protect them. You sanctify them in the world. What else do we need to go to the world and preach the gospel? We can be sure that we'll be protected and sanctified because these are the priorities of God the Son and God the Father. Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John. He lived close to 90 years, and his life ended in martyr, as a martyr in the Roman Colosseum. And during his trial, the governor had pity on him because of his old age. So he tried to convince him to reject the faith, to deny Christ. To which Polycarp said very famous words that I'm pretty sure you already heard. He said, I have served him 86 years, and he has done me no wrong. How could I blaspheme against my king who has saved me? So the governor, governor now, when he sees that response, he threatens him with being burned alive. So after like a back and forth, eventually Polycarp says... You threaten me with fire that extinguishes because you don't know the fire of eternal damnation reserved for the ungodly. What are you waiting for? Do with me as you wish. End quote. So finally, Polycarp was sentenced to be burnt at the stake. And that's how he died. The world sought to destroy his faith. Satan, through the system of the world, tried to have him deny Christ, to reject the gospel, to become an apostate. 
However, he chose to embrace the flames of this world than to turn his back on his Savior. He died proclaiming Christ to the world. How is that possible? How is it possible that a 90-year-old man in his old and weak age was so strong in his faith? Oh, because he was a superhuman? No. Because God the Father protected him and sanctified him in the world. The evil one really hates us. He seeks to destroy our faith. But listen to this. He will never be able to snatch us away from the loving hands of our Holy Father. He seeks to stain us with sin. But if you are a believer, he will not be able to stop God's sanctifying work in us through Scripture. Because the priority of God the Father and God the Son, and by implication we could say God the Spirit, it is our protection and sanctification. So, therefore, that's the conclusion. Let us go with boldness into the world, proclaim Christ as we live holy lives in obedience to the word of God because we love him. And I cannot think of better way to finish this than with the very words of Jesus himself when he says to his disciples, because you will be protected in the world, because you will be sanctified through scripture in the world, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to serve all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. Let's pray. Father, you alone can make us proclaimers of Christ. We pray for boldness, but also we pray that this truth will encourage our heart to make us bold, that we would go truly and fulfill the mission that you've given us, that we would take advantage of this life on this earth, and that will preach Christ to the unbeliever. Even allow us to see the fruit of our proclamation. To see people coming to know you. Father, we want to see men in heaven because they believe in the gospel. They believe in Christ. So use that in that process. And thank you for that opportunity. And thank you that you protect us and sanctify us. In the name of Jesus, amen.